Hello and welcome to The Widow Podcast. I am your host, Karen Sutton, The Widow Coach. I am a widow, a mum, a health coach, a life coach and grief coach. I want to help you see that you really can create something truly meaningful after loss. You have everything you need within you and I want to help you find it so you can see how capable and amazing you really are. Helping you find a more positive way through your grief. And welcome back to the Widow Podcast. This week I have a super lovely, lovely lady, Jo Betts, with me today to talk about her story through widowhood. Jo is absolutely gorgeous. You're going to love her. Um, if you don't already follow her on Instagram at jo.betts, she shares her story very openly, but also very positively because Jo is very passionate about giving grief a voice. And Jo is a widow herself. She is a mum and she is also the writer <laughs> of the journal Grief, um, which is absolutely fantastic. And we'll talk about this in, in, in our conversation. But Jo, hello. Thank you so much for coming along and, and chatting to us. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. I'm actually really excited to be here and um, I guess share my experiences with your wonderful audience. Yeah. Do you know, I just, you you do it. We were just chatting, weren't we, about how positive and smiley and just the energy that you have is so warm and nourishing. It's so lovely. You know, every time I see you on Instagram, I have a smile on my face. <laughs> And I think you just offer so much hope and wisdom and that that positivity, you know, that that optimism amongst some very dark and, and heavy times for people, which is important because we need that, don't we? You know, it's yes, we have to acknowledge the pain and the heartache and the hurt. But we've also, I think, got to try and find what's still good and, and hold on to that to, to pull us through because it is really hard, really painful. Mm. Um, but should we start with with your your story, just for those that maybe don't know, but of, of how your husband Craig died and, and what happened to, to you? Yeah, absolutely, Karen. So I was widowed in 2017, so coming up almost five years ago. And um, look, it was Craig's death was very sudden um basically you know it had a very normal day both of us at work had had dinner and uh gone to bed and about 2 30 in the morning Craig woke me up uh telling me that he couldn't breathe and it was look I could almost tell instantly instantly sorry it was like an emergency situation and I think within a couple of minutes he had collapsed in our ensuite bathroom so I was straight on the phone to triple O um you know then told to start resuscitation on him, which I did for about 20 minutes, I think, before paramedics arrived. And uh, they took over and worked on Craig for about one hour before he was pronounced yeah, dead from an asthma attack. So it all happened very suddenly, very quickly. Um, and I guess it's safe to say it was a pretty traumatic experience. And I think I came out of that just completely spinning like we all do when we lose someone as though your whole world has um, crashed down around you scared about the future not really sure you know what was going to be in store for me when it came to grief and dealing with the trauma side of things so yeah it's been a crazy crazy journey and it's um 
it's really lovely to do things like this to actually then reflect on the last almost five years to sort of see what's happened and how my thoughts have changed, particularly when it comes to um, grief. You know, I think that's so interesting, isn't it, that how our story changes as we as we move through it. And, you know, it's it you can't see it at the beginning, can you, that the story will change and, and you'll be telling it differently and you'll be feeling it and experiencing it differently. You just can't you can't apprehend that at, at, at the minute sorry comprehend that at the beginning and it's as you move through it and you reflect back like you say you really see the the differences in in how you are with it and, and how you carry that I suppose and, and tell that story yeah definitely and I think um you know so much my perspective on grief has changed from the very beginning and feeling like my goodness I was going to be stuck here forever to now I guess sitting in a place where I've got a lot more acceptance um, and I guess in a way I've kind of embraced what has happened to me and yeah and and feeling sorry feeling it's really important to share you know my experience or your experience with others as well because I think it's really helpful to hear other personal experiences. Do you look for that in your your grief so you know after Craig died and you were thrown into this world that you didn't know you didn't understand full of fear did you then go out looking for other widows to to tell you their stories for hope yeah and I think I look I went mad basically you know in those first weeks and months like your brain is just out of control and I felt like I was in a vortex of mainly at night time when I couldn't sleep and um of just googling looking for stories looking for you know hope knowledge etc and it was yeah it was full on and I, but also really scared initially to approach other widows I don't know why I think I was scared initially that if I reached out to someone they might say oh no no I'm in a good space now and I don't want to hear from you from someone who's obviously in such early stages of it and feeling probably so down and out about it but now being you know a little bit further from that experience, I realised that when people reach out to me, I love sharing my experiences um, as time has gone on. And I guess offering that hope in a way that I was looking for. But goodness me, I would hate for someone to have checked my Google history at that time <laughs> of the things that I was searching for. <laughs> That's so funny, isn't it? I think we were all sort of frantically searching the internet, aren't we, for answers? Anything. And I and, and I think that was it. I was just looking for the answer. And I, and I realise now that that was probably my whole... I guess, problem with grief initially is that I'm quite a problem solver when it comes to life in general. So after Craig's death, I was like, well, I've got a huge problem, but I'm pretty sure I can solve it. And I was going to solve my way through grief. So I still remember, you know, instantly within a few days of his death, having my sister Google the stages of grief for me and reading them out and trying to work out where I was at. I mean, mind you, I was two or three days into this journey. And kind of, you know, but, but almost looking at that and going, well, that's given me a checklist that I can work through. And I thought, I reckon I can do that in a year. I reckon I'll, I'll absolutely have nailed that list by then. I was so very, very wrong. <laughs> and I, I look back on that and I feel sorry for that, Joe. Like I feel sad for me that I was searching for these answers and I was searching for that healing that really 
in the end was just going to be a matter of time and learning and growth until I could get to a better place. But my God, I tried. Totally resonate with that. Just from my perspective and just, you know, all of the people I work with in their grief, you know, especially those first couple of years, it's, you want the answer. You want to fix the problem. Like, how do I get out of this pain? When's Mm -hmm. it going to end? Where's the end point? When am I going (laughs) to figure out who I am, where I belong, where my place is in the world, you you know? And I remember asking people like, how long did it take you? Like, when did you feel okay again? Like, when did you figure out what job you were going to do? When did you meet someone else when did you get married like because I needed like dates and and like when I got to that date myself and I was like oh well I haven't done that that means I'm doing it wrong I know (laughs) why haven't I done it (laughs) and I think the big one for me was the one year anniversary so I'd worked really hard across that year thinking that I'd done all the stages of grief I think of anger I was I'd been a little bit angry initially but but enough for me to think I'd I'd tick that off my list and I did the first year anniversary and I was away with friends and um on the actual day you know like it can often be it wasn't as bad as perhaps the build-up and the lead-up was so I thought well this is great grief and I are perhaps done and then probably about five days later or something I think I'd I'd gone home and I was exhausted like it is exhausting those anniversaries and those milestones and I remember waking up and just thinking god it's the same shit like I still feel bad and I thought I was I must be doing grief wrong and I felt like over those next few months I really unraveled in a way like I hadn't done before And then I got angry and then I got really, really angry. And I then like, it was like, I'd almost taken what I thought was 10 steps forward to take probably 17 steps back. I just was all over the place. And I think that's where I began to work through my grief a little bit more, but also start to understand that, you know, as we all say, is not the linear checklist or process that we thought it was going to be. And that grief has more stages than just five you know there's all kinds of emotions that we experience in grief that aren't even touched on um you know from things like I guess jealousy um frustration all all kinds of things can surface uh, when we're grieving someone that we love so much who has died and yeah and I think I eventually just got to a point where I was thinking I, I now have to surrender to this and I have to surrender to all the emotions as much as I don't want to <laughs> and just go with it and I think that's when I started to fare a little bit better in my grief was once I'd embraced it mm, yeah do you know it's it's so true isn't it it is really learning to live with it rather than try and get over it <laughs> solve it. it it's it's inviting it in and understanding that you know it's it's not something you move on from it you kind of move with it and you bring it with you and it's a it's a companion for life but in order for it to to not be a a heavy weight for you um 
it's, it's building that relationship. You know, I talk very much in, 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 in my groups and stuff about building that relationship with your grief, getting to know it, getting to understand it and, you know, the, the peaks and, and flows of it all. But also it is an umbrella term, isn't it? You know, I think sometimes like exactly like you say, we think of grief. We want to, to know, like, how, how do we tick it off? What have I got to go through to get through this grief? <laughs> you have your five stages or, or, you know, seven or whatever it is people kind of find and, and draw from. But then you do very quickly realise, don't you? Actually, there's so much more to this, so much more to this than meets the eye. Yeah, and it's so layered and it's so complex and it's such an individual journey as well. And so there might be some people that experience that array of emotions early and embrace it a little bit earlier that, um, you know, might fare better in the years to come. And there'll be people like me that probably try and shun it for that first year to year and a half, unravel and then go, oh, yeah. I get it now. Okay, I'll go with it. But you know what we're all experiencing each death and each relationship, whether that's the loss of partners or not, is so unique um, to the person that's experiencing mm-hmm. that. Uh, in saying that, there's nothing like, I guess, meeting another person who's grieving and feeling like they actually get it. So yes. as much as it's a unique journey, I think you come out of it with a really great understanding of, of how painful the experience of death can be and I think you develop a whole new level of empathy for others too Mm, definitely you know I think you just I feel I I feel so much more deeply um than I used to and you you know when you see that raw pain in someone you know especially in those very early days Mm. it it can really take you right back can't it to that that despair that devastation that feeling of my life is over I am never going to be the same it's never going to be and of course it isn't and you're not um but in those moments that's really scary because you don't know what's on the other side of this um absolutely and I that was a big one for me I, I remember seeking the help of a psychologist and um and pretty quickly after Craig had died because the problem solver in me was like right I know the things I should be doing And I think in our first session, I was beside myself because I didn't want it to change me. And that was obviously a massive fear for me that I didn't realise that I had because, you know, the Joe prior to Craig's death, upbeat, positive, um, vibrant, and I just was really scared that I was going to turn into someone that would be completely jaded by the experience and I'd be negative and I'd be the one you know, every conversation saying, you know, something like, well, at least you've got a husband if anyone dare, you know, said anything spiteful about their own. (laughs) I just had these visions that that could potentially be me. And she just said to me, this is going to change you. And I was so resistant to it. But now I realise, like, of course, I was going to change. There was no way that I couldn't not change out of this experience. But at the same time, too, I think I've changed in some really amazing ways that I didn't expect from this at all and that's so powerful isn't it and I can really really kind of understand that because I was exactly the same you know I I remember saying a few days after Simon died like this isn't going to change me I'm absolutely 
hundred percent. I'm going to stay who I am. I'm not going to allow this to change me because like you, I thought if I allowed it to change me, I would end up becoming like a a bitter, angry, miserable widow (laughs) that didn't like life was just, just didn't want to know about anything. Everything was about why me. And yes, (laughs) I was was like, no, because if I change, it's going to be bad. But actually fighting that change was exhausting absolutely exhausting and I was clinging on to things because that was who I was but it just it was bringing me so little joy and I felt so heavy trying to to carry that and and eventually when I realized you know allow the changes accommodate the changes change doesn't mean it's going to be bad and I think we very much have that that feeling, don't we, of of, of changes and differences are bad. You know, mm. they could. They, I think we struggle with thinking they're good um, because we naturally go to the bad, don't we? With with, with our minds, it's, it's we, we go to the negative side of things. But you know, allowing that those changes to happen and accepting, I suppose, that it is going to change you, but it can have some very positive changes as well, and it can reveal parts of you that you never knew existed that are going to make you feel so proud of, of who you are at, at your core that it's that's quite an uplifting feeling for someone I, I think I agree know. and it's and it's funny it's just making me think too that you know the whole fear about being jaded or negative um or that dark kind of space that you can find yourself in I would say the biggest change for me or within me has kind of been I'm much same as you, I'm far more emotional than I ever was but I love that about myself now I love that I feel a range of emotions whether they're and they shouldn't be deemed as negative emotions because I think you know when you're feeling dark or down and out there's obviously a reason behind that and that's just part of what you're going through at that time you'll move out of it of course but you can embrace those side of yourselves, of yourself too. And I often laugh because I can sometimes, especially when it's leading up to milestones, feel like, oh, yeah, I'm going into a crazy period of time. <laughs> now I'm going to be emotionally rocky. So family and friends, watch out and give them a bit of a warning. But, but I used to be embarrassed by it, whereas now I'm just a little bit like, that's just part of who I am. And I, I like that I'm a, I'm a layered kind of person when it comes to, yeah. to my emotions and I don't think we have to always deem that as a bad thing it's like that's something that has been I guess taught to us and we you know that we must be happy and positive at all times um but I think there's a real beauty in the different levels of emotions that we feel too there is and you know I always say to people you you can't have one without the other can you? you you know you can't experience right. happiness and and love without like sadness and grief like that you've got to have the two sides of the coin to to know what <laughs> each one is absolutely and I I often just go back to that I think about after Craig had died and what I went through in all those months and still go through at various times oh god it's the worst I have ever ever felt like I mentally emotionally physically like so so bad that for me now as you said the opposite end of the spectrum is that when I feel joy then I go yes that's what I want as well so you're right you have to have you can't have one without the other but I think that depth of pain has given me a real appreciation for those moments 
mm. of joy and is really what I'm trying to seek as, yes. as much as I possibly can. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's just finding that joy in life because I think when you lose someone so young and so close and so quickly, you really realise how fragile life is don't you and and how quickly yeah. it can ch- I mean in a, in a in a split second your life can change um so drastically and it is trying to be more present isn't it in the moments mm. that you have and and finding the joy in them and, and doing the things that that light you up but that's hard when you're in the in the midst of grief yeah. isn't it to, to find those moments but to your point we don't have to be happy and positive all the time and mm you know, like I, I try and explain to my clients that being positive doesn't mean that you're always happy and you're always looking on the bright yes. side. It's it's sometimes it's okay. I'm feeling awful right now. And this is yeah. absolutely horrendous. And, and I, I don't know what to do with myself, but that positive positivity comes in of, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to take the next step and eventually I'll, I'll find my way. And, and that's where the positivity comes in. But it's not always kind of outwardly looking like you're happy and upbeat and, oh, it's OK, I've got this type of thing. It's, it's, it's embracing what is, isn't it, and allowing it all to be. Yes, and I, I think um, that's a really great point because I think I was just, you know, almost like picturing myself going on those days where you just are lying in bed going, oh, God, is this it? And you're feeling bad. It is, it's having that inner faith in yourself going, do you know what, today is a bad day and I might write that off, but it doesn't mean tomorrow won't be better. And it might even the next day might not be better. It might be another week or so, but having that inner faith in yourself that this, you know, won't feel like this forever is is part of, I guess, having that positive sort of feeling and going, I will eventually be okay yeah 100 percent. you know it's it comes back to this too shall pass isn't it but that equally yeah. works in your up moments doesn't it in your moments of joy yes. and, it, and it's kind of we all want to bottle those moments don't you like I just want to stay <laughs> here in this moment like I don't want this to end because I just feel so happy but but that passes as well and, and life happens and, and grief comes or some, something goes on in our lives and and we come back down again and it's it's allowing those moments though because what we often find in grief and what I see with a lot of my clients in my groups when we get those kind of moments when we can come up for air and we feel a little bit lighter we then tell ourselves that we're doing it wrong we're being disloyal I can't possibly feel happy what will everyone think I shouldn't be enjoying this moment nobody can see me laughing and we stop ourselves from having that because we layer it with all this stuff and it's kind of accepting that that's okay too like Mm -hmm. grief doesn't always look like sadness and pain and anger and resentment and tears it you know you can be in the depths of grief I mean I personally created some incredible moments in the depths of my grief you know I have some memories that will stay with me forever that I cherish I was hurting I was desperately hurting but I was still able to make some wonderful memories with my girls Yes. And it, you know, it is, I guess that's the duality of it, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's both. It and, really and is. Both. Mm. And you're absolutely right because it kind of makes me even think back to that first year that was so painful, but some of the amazing pockets of joy that I found 
too. And I, I remember even being um, on a boat with Heidi. We are going from one side of, um, of Victoria to the other side. And I was having a bad morning and I just when we got up to the top of this boat, the sun was shining, we saw some dolphins and they were jumping and I, I felt good and I surprised myself. I was like, oh, oh, okay, I feel good. But it was enough for me to go, oh, that's a good feeling. Like I hope I can feel that again soon and, and wanting to feel that way as well mm-hmm. when I could became really important to me and still really is for me I think life has become about finding pockets of joy wherever I can and and particularly in the really simple stuff whether that's watching my daughter play netball she played her first netball match the other week and I was just on the sidelines going this is magic like this is so great to be watching the joy on her face and feeling that for myself and thinking this is this is really what life is all about is it's the simple moments being with family being with friends doing stuff that you said that lights you up or makes you feel good is really important Mm, it is and and I think like you say you know when you're watching Heidi play netball it's you know I'm here I can do this and and knowing that our husbands would do anything to be there in that moment because those moments are so special aren't they yes and it's interesting you say that because then I kind of go that's an interesting shift for me because I always think about um, in that first year or two, almost anything Heidi did, I probably felt sad because I was like, oh, which Craig was here. And I still, look, don't get me wrong, feel that. But I think now I focus a bit more on, oh, my God, how lucky am I yeah. that I'm here to witness this? And there will always be that sadness within me but I can see that shift of of kind of rather than sort of moping my way through it and that I'm saying to go well I I want to embrace this as well which look as I said in those first year or two and those first kind of milestones of course you are going to feel Mm. bloody shit for Mm. (laughs) having them missing out and wanting them and I'm sure you know when Heidi goes off to high school or gets married there is there's going to be a deep deep sadness within that for, for us both um but I think there's a real I, I, I yeah I feel incredibly lucky that I'm here and I actually was having a conversation earlier with my daughter Heidi who's now eight so she was four when Craig passed away and she asked me what I was doing tonight and I said I'm, I'm talking on a podcast about grief and I said you know what grief is and she was like yes it's you know it's the feelings um it's the feelings you have like sadness and anger and things. I said, yeah, that, that's right. It is feelings, you know, about what you have when someone dies. I said, but it's, it's more, it doesn't just have to be sadness and anger. There can be happiness too. And I could see this look on confusion on her face going, I don't know, isn't it? It goes back to that, what we deem to be, I guess, bad or negative emotions. I said, no, because you can feel happy in grief as well. And she's like, oh, but, but, but what? And I said, well, I feel happy that we're here. Like how lucky are we? Um, and we have times of happiness. We still grieve and we still feel those sad feelings too, but it can, it can also be joyful and you can also feel happiness too. So it was a really interesting conversation that I just had with her this evening. I love that. I love that you have that with her and, and, you know, normalize that for her because, you know, 
ultimately we are their role models in it aren't we and and it's having those conversations so that they understand that it's okay it's okay to be happy it's okay to be sad it's okay and everything in between is okay nothing's bad nothing's negative like you say everything just is and allowing what is to be and and it and we move through it we move through it all and it might take longer than you want it to take or longer than you expect it to take but we do, we keep moving. And I think there is a, an element of making conscious decisions in that that help you to move through it in, in more positive ways. Um, but it is, it's just keep taking those steps, allowing what is to be and, and not sort of judging and criticizing it all and, and thinking that you're doing it wrong all the time. Yes. Um, so with with Heidi then, she she was four at the time. I mean, did did she know what was going on in the middle of the night when her dad had all that? Did she wake up? So I was incredibly lucky. No, Heidi didn't wake up. Interestingly, she she was in our bed that night, you know, as kids always are. So she was actually only probably four or five meters away. I to be honest, I have no idea how she slept through it. Um it was, it was really scary for me because I think I felt like when I was attempting to resuscitate Craig that I was being so loud. And at one point I went to open the door for the paramedics and I couldn't see her in our bed. And I think what had happened was I'd just thrown the covers over or something. And so at the point where I'd opened up the door for the paramedics but they hadn't arrived yet, I was just doing it on the instruction of Triple O. I think there was a good 10 minutes where in the back of my head I was like, I don't know where Heidi is and I thought oh my god is she wandering around the house has she gone out on the street anyway I was able to find her in our bed and actually shift her down to her bedroom without waking whilst they uh, worked on Craig and um, yeah so she missed the whole thing which I'm very Mm -hmm. grateful for because it just I my head and as anyone who's been through a situation like that was completely out of control and I mean we had the undertakers come and collect Craig's body before she woke up. So that was a decision that I'd made. So yeah, with a death at home, they have to get the police in there and things like that too. So I'd spoken to a really lovely police woman who just said to me, I'm mindful that you've got a young daughter here. Do you think we should remove his body before she wakes? And yeah, I, I look, I could, I didn't know what I was going to say to her. And I think I just needed time to collect myself. So we actually had Craig's body taken and um, when she woke up in the morning, I made the decision to actually just let her get on with her normal day, which was at kinder, so that I had time to prepare myself to break that Mm. news. So at about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, um, so yeah, about 12 hours later, I relayed the news and um, look, I I think I made the right decision in the end. I just wasn't in a state to have done it mm. any kind of justice. Not, it's, I mean, it's the most appalling thing to do, isn't it? Telling mm. children that they've lost their dad. Um, but yeah, it was, I don't know. It's, I was talking about this with someone the other day because at the time I remember someone saying to me, do you think she knows what's happened or that has she really comprehended that Craig has died? And I got really defensive. I was like, well, of course she understands. Like I told her her dad had died. She cried. I'm upset. Everyone's upset. Um, so I was like, I think she, she understands what's, what's happened here. She, she, I mean, we hadn't experienced death. Uh, 
it's certainly not for her at that age being only four but about I don't know six months later we were driving and she said to me so when's dad coming back and I was floored and was like oh my goodness I said no Heidi and you know I'm pretty open and honest with her I think what I didn't understand at that time was for a four-year-old that concept of permanence Mm. like it just Mm. hadn't developed in her Mm. yet even two years ago she made an off-the-cuff comment one Easter a little bit like about dad coming back and I thought Mm. goodness like she cognitively is still trying to process she's eight now she definitely understands Mm. Mm. Um, but that was something that really I guess shocked and surprised me that the children um that yeah there's level like age levels they actually don't really truly understand Mm. what has happened and it takes time for that to to happen and then their grief will continue to evolve like Mm. ours does but there's something inside me that sort of feels like her grief might probably get a little bit worse before it not not gets better because does it ever get better but I think um perhaps the gravity of that loss will start to hit home maybe Mm. a little bit later as they start to yeah understand and experience the world a little bit more without you know a father in in their life so it'll it'll be an interesting journey I think it's so interesting isn't it because like you say that they're you know they're cognitive development in, in terms of what they understand of things changes so much doesn't it as, as they grow yes. and when they they lose someone they love very early they, they they the concept of death the finality of it like I mean I'm not being funny I find it really hard yes. you know I remember when when Simon died you know it's like what is that it is it what he's never going to walk I couldn't just you can't get your head around it like you're just looking at the door thinking surely they're going to walk in it in a minute yes. like, so, you know, and I'm fairly cognitively developed, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you kind of, you, you yeah, to, to expect our children to understand that and make sense of it, like, they're not going to, are they? It's so hard for us as, as adults, but it does change. It does evolve. And I think, you know, my children, they were nine and five when mm. Simon died. And definitely now you know it's over five and a half years and I'm seeing a lot of changes especially sort of in my eldest daughter I don't talk about it a lot because it's not my story to Mm. tell and obviously it's you you know she's aware of what I do and listens to things and and I think it's not fair but it does it does come up it does come up in in different ways and and rear its head and and it's something that is lifelong isn't it that they're going to have different times in their lives when it affects them in different ways you know depending on their understanding their experiences what they're they're doing the situations in life and it's helping them in the best way that you can isn't it Mm. and and keeping those lines of communication open and it's just so hard though isn't it because you want to solve it all for them as a parent you want to take all their pain away and you can't Uh, absolutely and I think it's you know it's so tough on grieving parents who are grieving themselves but then you know I do I feel a huge responsibility for Heidi's grief Mm -hmm. because you'd be the same where the role models that they've got as such and you know it's um you're trying to navigate that together so it's almost like you're in charge of two different griefs and um yeah I found it an interesting journey with Heidi I'd say at this stage 
how she had, I mean, Heidi is an absolute little joy. Like she, much the same as me, loves smiling, loves having fun, joy, 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 give me more, more, more. <laughs> um, but she's, oh, what I find interesting is she'll, she'll talk to me about it. She doesn't talk about it with really anyone else. I'd be interested to know, I'm sure, like a few of her friends know that she, her dad has died and whether that's because their parents have told them or whether they've been to our house and kind of got the concept that there's no dad here. But I've had quite a few, and you know what kids are like. I've had occasions where <laughs> kids will be like, where's the dad? You're like, oh, my goodness. And I always give Heidi the opportunity and say, well, yeah. do you like to tell them? Oh, no, she definitely doesn't. Like almost like she's a little bit mm. embarrassed. Yeah. And I think there's this, you know, and we're all the same at that age. You're desperate to fit in. You want to oh, be the same yeah. as everyone else. And I think for her she finds it a bit of a this is making me stand out mm. um, a little. But, I mean, to look at her, you just go, that's a perfectly normal, happy, functioning child but at the same time too as I said you've, you've got this awareness that like things will evolve and change and I might and I think initially yeah. when after Craig had died I was like look at me I am a pro this child is great yeah. and then she's like well, when's dad coming back I'm like oh my god <laughs> she's she has missed the whole point <laughs> so I think I'm sure as soon as I think I've got a handle on things things will change but I think for me my approach with Heidi has just always been honesty to the level she can understand or wants to mm. understand and talking about emotions and, you know, that same thing that there's, it, it's a whole lot of emotions, Heidi, and none of them have to be bad or good. It just, you know, this is just how, how grief is and how it plays out and then it's okay to be sad. And I think a lot of sometimes if she'd come home from school, I might sort of say to her, well, I've had a really bad day and I feel sad and this is the reason why and that's just kind of mm. part of it and she sort of looks at me oddly and says oh, all right all right mom <laughs> and off she goes so and I think it's just yeah we've kind of I guess learned to adapt in our own way and work together with each other I mean yeah we, we talk a lot um and yeah, it's just, as I said, I think we're just navigating, muddling our way through it. Probably once again, initially, I was like, how do I problem solve this? Yeah. But I've learned to let go and just go, look, we'll just deal with things as they come up. Yeah, I think that's such a good approach in life, isn't it, really? Just, <laughs> it you really know, is. We're always trying to foresee the problems and the challenges we're going to next we're going to be facing and what we're going to do about them. But actually, let's just let's just get through this now, deal with this and and. I think one of my biggest learnings has, has been, you know, like I can deal with uncertainty. I'm not yes. saying I'm good at it. I'm not saying it's fun um, or that I have the answers, but whatever comes up, we'll figure it out somehow, yes. you know, in, in, in some way. And it might not always be immediately obvious how we do that. Mm. Um, but it, it's, it is that just coming together. And I don't know about you, but I do feel a lot closer to my girls than I think I would have done if Simon had lived and you know I'm not saying that you know <laughs> that's that's better than if he had yeah, lived in thank would, goodness but yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not what I'm saying but there's definitely a, a closeness a bond a togetherness mm. that we've that kind of unspoken I 
I guess connection you know when you've been through something so traumatic together yeah. and seen each other at, at their worst I don't know yeah. it just, and, and maybe just a, a greater appreciation for what you have um mm. I mean I just took everything for granted so much before yeah so I, I agree and one thing I look definitely I would say I and I'm probably being too hard on myself, but at the same time, I, I'm not proud of the kind of parent I was for that first year or two after Craig had died. I was all over the place. And, you know, here I was probably knowing I need to give Heidi stability, but if anything, it was like I was completely unstable. Um, and I think when Craig died, our relationship shifted and changed and almost an element of her going, oh my God, mum's lost it. And so how do I trust her and trust the world and what's going on? Mm. I'm not trusting of the world because it's all been upended. And in a way, I was really resentful about being a single parent mm. at the start. But interestingly, then what happened was I think and it was probably good timing. I mean, things became a little bit more stable when Heidi started school, but with COVID and then being in lockdown, together and just the two of us I think she was getting the stability that she needed I was probably getting the stability I craved but wasn't creating <laughs> at yes. that time yes and what has happened is this really beautiful bond between mm. us and a level of understanding and connection that has been so wonderful and mm. amazing and mm. um I do think and I don't just think that's COVID I think it's just been a time Thing. I think it's just taken me time to get back up on my feet as we yeah. all do and you know coming into this new identity and persona I guess as well to then develop this really beautiful relationship with Heidi that I am now really proud of. That's so lovely and do you know it really does shine through in in what you share oh. on on Instagram <laughs> you know you just she's just a little mini you isn't she? <laughs> she is it is a worry it's like we are morphing into one another so. <laughs> <laughs> both wonderful but also yeah. concerning <laughs> oh it is it's so lovely to see and, and that that bond definitely kind of shines mm. through doesn't it it's it's lovely I mean you kind of touched on there about identity and this is huge mm. I think isn't it in widowhood how we discover who we are after our person has has died you know mm. so many people are lost with that and, and where they're heading in life how have you dealt with that in in your grief with identity I think as I said it was interesting I think initially that was that resistance I didn't want to change um and then I think just came a level of acceptance that I have changed but I've changed in some great ways uh, that probably wouldn't have happened had I not been through the experience that I have or that we all have. And I, and I think it's, it's simple stuff that I've changed. As I'm saying, I think more emotional, but in a really wonderful way, uh, a level, level of like, I guess, empathy for others. I think I've had to, and as you do when you're on your own, you have to really trust yourself and start making decisions on your own. And that really, you know, for anyone that's perhaps experiencing this, I was so bad at making decisions for that first year or two because I was used to making decisions mm -hmm. with a partner there. And when they're taken away from you, 
you know, it's a huge overwhelming responsibility, Mm. but with time and practice and trusting myself, I now, you know, I'm proud that I have become a decision maker and that I kind of, I know who I am now and I know what makes me feel good. I know what makes me smile. I know what brings me joy. I know a little bit better how to handle those painful and hard times, which unfortunately I only learn by going through them (laughs) and you resurface again and then you go back through it again. But I think each time it doesn't always get easier, but I think you have better strategies to cope or you understand what you need at Mm. that time too. And um, so I think I've seen almost Craig's death as in, and I'm not sure if you feel the same, Karen, but it was like I had been knocked over and everything taken away from me and I'd been stripped right back to, to nothing basically. So this has been a time to, re, to rebuild myself and my identity and to, if you can see it in that light, go, this is an opportunity to rebuild myself into the kind of person I really want to be. And I think that is the things like being more present, being more empathetic, um, you know, experiencing joy and all those kind of things. So I think, as I said, you would never wish this, you would hope that this wouldn't happen, but wow, what an incredible opportunity to, yeah, to, to rebuild. Yeah. Totally. You know, I think I very much through my own journey and, and what I try and help others do now is, you, you know, we talk a lot about finding ourselves, don't we? And yeah. kind of who are we really? But actually, for me, I very much when I shifted that thought from finding myself to creating the person I want to become, yeah. it just felt more empowering. And really, yeah. you know, like thinking, okay, so how do I want to show up in life? What's important to mm. me? What feels good? What what values do I, you know, want to uphold? Yes. And then going about kind of living that. And then yeah. you, you just become that, don't you? And and it is hard and it does take a long time. And I I mean I I personally think you have to kind of work at it a little bit. It's it's yeah. I mean, but it is time as well. It's it's both. Mm. It's such a process, isn't it? And I I really like that you said the word values because I actually did a task last year just around, yeah, looking at um, what values are important to me. And I think things came up that I hadn't perhaps thought of. Like I now realise that stability is important to me. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that I can't cope with change or whatever, but I I need a solid base. Otherwise I get a bit rocky. (laughs) Um, But things like that adventure is really important to me and so I need to lead a life where I can create adventure for myself and now that could be in um, well it could be I'm not saying it could be huge things like going I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro which is never going to happen for me (laughs) at all and I have no interest but that adventure for me might be going for a hike for Mm. an hour or two Mm. it could be going into the city of Melbourne like simple stuff that I go but that's just creating a sense of of adventure and that's a value that is important yeah. to yeah. me um so I think it's yeah I think it's an opportunity I, mean, I never thought about values before no, like I, I, I never had whereas it's become a really big part 
of my life now. Mm. I'm currently kind of reassessing mine because I hadn't either and I'd never thought of my values. No, I wouldn't, I didn't even know what they were with somebody. I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) I kind of understood, but not really. And then I, I did my own but but that was about two and a half years after Simon died when I started yes. on my journey and obviously now I'm sort of five and a half nearly six and I, I, I can feel there's been a shift there's been a there's been a shift in my values from then to now and it's something we kind of not huge um but I definitely like challenges you, you know this yes. I never would have said this before but since Simon died I've been challenged so many times and I've challenged myself to do so many different things and and overcome fears and and do things I never thought I could do which is scary and it pushes me out of my comfort zone but I love that feeling of achievements of thinking yes. do you know what I'm capable I can do things I didn't think I can do and I, I kind of like that that little bit of a push and like you I'm not necessarily talking about maybe climbing Kilimanjaro no. but <laughs> You know, like we just went, we went paddle boarding, you know, and, and sometimes it's it's very simple kind of challenge that they're, they're not huge, that they're small, but just trying something different, doing something different, pushing yourself yeah. a little bit and, and just, yeah, I guess that little bit of sense of adventure as, as well, you know, that you're just not and stuck I, in the mundane. I was going to say, Karen, I love that because probably where if you'd said to me, I like challenges, I would be going, oh my God, no way. But I, I think after Craig died, I came out with an attitude of what's the worst that can happen. Mm. So to, I will give things a go because yeah. I think, well, the worst, basically, well, I hope that's the worst thing that will happen to me has happened. So what's the worst that can happen if I try paddleboarding and I fall off or whatever <laughs> it might be? I'm just pushing the envelope a little yeah. bit with what you're sort of, yeah. you know, comfortable enough with, but stepping outside of your um comfort zone but I think my care factor has gone down yes <laughs> I just yeah go, do you know what give it a go like I've done challenging things before and I can do them again yeah, yeah. Mm. exactly and, and huge challenges and I always kind of go back to I think one of the the two of the hardest things I did in you know in the aftermath of Simon dying was going to see him because I wasn't with Simon when he died so I had to I went to see him a couple mm. of days later in the funeral parlor and that was just absolutely horrendous it was one of the worst moments in my life and the other one was walking away from him at the crematorium after the funeral you know I just with every fiber of my being I didn't want to leave him there you you know it was even now it just oh and I think do you know if I can do those two things in life like I feel like I can do anything like what's the worst that can happen okay it might not work out I might not be able to do it I I might get a bit wet I don't know but (laughs) mindset of do you know I I feel like I've done some pretty awful things and I've faced I think anyone who's lost a partner knows exactly what you're saying when it's like you do horrific things that you never thought you'd do whether that's Mm. you know seeing someone die not being with them and having that traumatic experience um of them being gone but not actually being there for it of seeing their body of funerals like oh my when you really think about it telling yeah. the kids that their father oh. or mother has died like just yeah. <laughs> they yeah. are the worst things yes. that can happen and yeah. you know then the little stuff doesn't seem I know. so big or challenging so, anymore so true and do you know what I always like telling my children was awful and I almost feel a bit bad saying that those were the two moments and telling my children wasn't and don't mm. get me wrong it was an awful moment but 
I did it so quickly after I found out myself that he just died. Yeah. I think I almost mm. it literally must have been about 20 minutes. So, you know, yeah. I was just almost on this autopilot. Oh. And it was awful. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't have time to to think about it too much beforehand. Yes. Um, and and there's pluses and minuses. I wanted to put it off. <laughs> I wanted to, um, but I I didn't have the the opportunity wasn't there for me because they knew something was wrong because you, you know what was going oh, on at the time. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is. It's just it, that is an awful moment. But it's looking at your most awful moments, isn't it? And thinking, do you know, like I I've yeah, done that. that. I did was... that. Mm, yeah yeah <laughs> and I'm still here yeah I'm still like and that's the thing I just uh, well when you're saying you know there's part of it that goes will I there always be an element of denial like mm, yes. that I think my, still my brain doesn't quite comprehend <laughs> what has happened like it's yeah. just you and you're saying expecting them to walk in the door yeah. where I think sometimes I wonder whether one day someone will just tap me on the shoulder and go actually it's all right we're gonna you've learned some lessons and we're gonna put you back into your old life I know it's Again, weird. It's just so yeah. hard to fathom. And I think that is, mm. you know, and it's, I, I found that interesting in my journey of grief because I felt like, you know, particularly with a sudden death and a traumatic death, it's, I don't think your brain can comprehend it or allows you to comprehend mm. it because I don't mm. think you'd get back up again. Yeah. So I feel like my brain in a way has been very kind to me over the years and just gives me a little bit, another, another little yeah. bit. And, and they hurt at the time, yeah. Yeah. but almost I'm sort of walking around oblivously and then I just get a little something and it, you know, sort of slowly pulling those pieces mm. together because I just don't think any of us could cope if it all came at us at once. Do you know what? I think that is, I just 100% believe that. And when I did David Kessler's grief education program, mm. actually, that was something that, that came up there. And it's something that, you know, I, I truly believe as well that we, our body, our brain, our mind, whatever, you know, will only allow you to feel so much pain at one moment because you can't handle it all. If, if you were to process it all at once, like, it would just be too much, wouldn't it? Yes. And it already feels too much. And I and I think we, you know, people talk about feeling numb or not feeling enough. And oh, actually, mm. I've, you know, it's been a couple of months and I'm feeling okay. And it's and, and it's always that. Well, that's good, like, but yeah. it, it's going to come. You, you know, mm. there, there's kind of no escaping it. But you will only be fed it in amounts that you can handle it at the the time you're at. I think our body has a very clever way of protecting us almost and allowing us to sift that in piece by piece, maybe like you've just said. Um, But that can make us feel bad as well, can't it? Because sometimes people do get to a certain point in their grief and go, well, I feel like I'm doing okay, actually. What's wrong with me? Have I got this wrong? And you you almost want to go, don't worry, it's all coming. But (laughs) it's still coming for you. (laughs) You haven't escaped it. It just might come a bit later. Um, So you're not doing it wrong. It's just this is this is what you can deal with and what you can can cope with right now. But it's, Mm. it's just it amazes me two things that how differently we all do it Mm. also how ill-equipped I think we are as human beings and and I've said this before to people but the the fact of the matter is we live and we die like we we are fundamentally here to procreate to make new life um and, and then go 
like that, mm-hmm. that's just how it's been forever this isn't a new thing yeah. like we're all going to die why can't we deal with it better why do we not understand it better and I I get that it's attached to love and the depth of the grief is equal to the depth of the love like but I just I don't know I just feel like as human beings we're so ill-equipped to deal with it on so many levels and I guess maybe because we're yeah it's almost like we're designed to sort of shun it in a way and so and so and all of us would feel this sort of grieving it's the reactions of family and friends that you don't expect where you're an outpouring of this emotion and then everyone just being so uncomfortable about it. Like how are we not better at supporting each other? Look, I think once you've been through it, then, then you are. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's like we are so uncomfortable yeah. talking about pain yeah. and suffering. Yeah. And I tell you what, if, you, if people could do it, more and openly and honestly I think we'd be a hell of a lot better off for oh it gosh. um yes. because I think too there's been a lot of times where I've second guessed myself with talking to people because I'm like well I don't want to drag down their day like and I know that they're going to be uncomfortable so I should just tell them what they want to hear mm. oh we're doing okay under the circumstances we're doing okay like yeah. that just seems to be the response that people want to hear because that hear. allows them to <laughs> to kind of get on with their day yeah um, so it, it's a, it's really, it's an interesting space because you said it's just a re- the reality of life, yeah, isn't it? It is. And I mean, look, I now reflect on what I was like with people who were grieving before I'd lost my husband because I hadn't really experienced much death in my life. And I was appalling. Like I was mm. probably, or <clears throat> I would have been the one serving out those positive platitudes that everyone would have hated. Just, oh, things will be okay. <laughs> or just think positive, think positive. Like, oh my, I would have yeah. been so frustrating. So look, I think it's certainly taught me a good lesson, but it's just, yeah, unbelievable. Um, it was interesting because I was talking to my brother about this. So my dad passed away three months ago and um, we were saying it was interesting because when my grandmother died and my dad had had like an interesting relationship with his mother as in I think they'd been sort of harder times, but, you know, towards the end of her death, they'd, they'd come back and sort of reconnected and were close. But anyway, dad came home and cried openly about my grandma and mm. Anytime he talked about it, he always welled up and, you know, because he just loved his mum. That's, you know, the way <clears throat> that relationship is between a mother and a child. And we were always like gobsmacked. Like I, I think we probably as kids are running off giggling, going, Dad's crying again. <laughs> but now I just go, what a beautiful display of grief. But we didn't understand that at that time. Like it was, it was, it was good to see. But, you know, I think we don't always look at it in that way as in going now I can look at it and say that what a beautiful yet display Mm -hmm. of grief that's how much he loved his mum despite whatever relationships and things that kind of gone on that Mm -hmm. he would openly weep about his love for her and his feeling of pain or loss without her so um and not feel and he never felt embarrassed about it but my dad was very true to himself (laughs) as well so no shame with things like that that too whereas I think a lot of us sometimes can feel 
shame with our emotion, but that's probably more so because we're, we're scared about the reaction we'll get to. 100%, you know, and I think that's so beautiful that your dad, you know, especially for a man, um, yes. was comfortable to, to do. Because it is hard as a parent as well, isn't it, to show emotion in front of your children? Because, I mean, I Absolutely. remember seeing my my mum crying as a, a child and I, I don't recall seeing my dad crying, but I remember seeing him very sad when, when they got, mm. you know, divorced. And, oh, God, it just, it broke my, as a child, I yeah. hated it. And I and I know, you know, it's you want to naturally protect your children from seeing mm. you in that state because you don't want them to feel that way but actually it's important to see that it's okay to be sad it's okay yeah. to cry it's okay to miss someone like don't have shame around those feelings mm. in life because yeah. there is so much shame and a lot of it is around well what will other people think of me what will they say it's going to be yeah. awkward and nobody's going to know what to do and and we don't know what to do do we we don't know what to do with with sadness no. and just holding space for somebody and just sitting yeah. with them in the darkness rather than trying to shine a light on them mm. you know and and make everything okay it's like I'm here I'm here I'll sit yes. with you for it for as long as it takes but we don't get that we're not taught how to listen how to support how to love mm. how to nurture and, and know that not everything needs a, a, a fix a solution yes. an answer absolutely but it doesn't and come I, naturally to us and I think too with the kids it is a hard a hard one F finding space to grieve but whether you show them that emotion or not and I'm I'm not a big crier. I, you know, it's generally I know I'm on the tipping edge if I start really <laughs> crying, sobbing. So probably Heidi hasn't seen much of that. It hasn't been necessarily me trying to hide it. It's just, and you know what? She probably distracts me. Kids, mm. what a great distraction yes. from what's really going on. Yes. Um, but last year I had a really, I hit yet another grief low and <clears throat> We were lockdowns, all that kind of restrictions. It was, yeah, pretty horrendous. I'd just gone through the anniversary and I, I, I just woke up one morning and I could feel it had been coming on for a couple of days going, mm -hmm. wow, I'm not emotionally good. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in a really bad headspace. So mm -hmm. I rang my parents and despite restrictions, I was like, I actually, I need you to come here and just, you know, you just need a rational yes. brain because I've yes. come, I just knew I wasn't feeling rational and that, I just need someone to kind of talk me through it or, you know, with parents, just mm. tell me you love me. That's going to yes. be okay. Yes. <laughs> That's what I need. But of course I had Heidi with me too. So we, we all <clears throat> met up and, um, you know, I'm sobbing away and, you know, after an hour or two, then, you know, it was okay. But I remember like that night sort of taking Heidi aside and saying to her, like, I know you must be worried about me. Like you must be, cause she would never really see me in that state. I said, and it, it's, I'm just really sad and I'm just going through a really hard time at the moment, but I don't want you to be scared or mm. worried. Mm. Things will get better. This is just sometimes things mm. happen and sometimes we just need to cry it, cry yeah. it all out. So just, I think it's just that sometimes you find that yourself and so it's just reassuring them that this is a perfectly yes. normal reaction. And I guess too, I, I sort of think about it now, I go, well, I guess it demonstrated to her too. When sometimes it gets too much, you need to call people yeah. that you love and say, come and sit with me and this, yes. is, this is what I need right now and sort of not I can probably tend to go it alone but obviously knew when enough was enough too yes. um but yeah I thought that was would have been a really 
interesting thing for her to observe, but I felt it was really important to actually pull her aside and just say, I, I know that you must be concerned yeah. and worried, but I will be okay. I've just got to feel this all, get it all out. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> oh, Joe, you sound like such a wonderful mum and such a wonderful oh. role model as well. You know, I, I kind of always come back to our children don't do as we say, they do as we do. And, you know, I very strongly believe we have to, model the behavior mm. the values the the, the belief yeah. systems that we want them to hold in life and and to show them that it's okay to be sad it's mm. okay to be happy it's okay to ask for help it's okay to be yeah. angry you know it's just how we we deal with all that stuff isn't it mm. um and, and just having those open conversations with them, just yeah. trying, because it's, you know, God, I feel so sorry for kids these days, the world they're growing up in with, with social yeah. media and, you know, the pressures that, that, that they have on them. And especially if they've yeah. been through trauma as well, and they mm. already feel like they don't quite fit in with everyone. Yeah. And, you know, my, my girls mm. always say whenever they bring up their dad, people go a bit weird around them and it's like a tumbleweed moment of everyone's like oh god she talks about dad what do we say what do we do so they just don't bother um and and it's like oh god it just so there's no escape from anything you know when I was a kid you know you come home and that was it you have a break from your friends and life and yeah it's social media is great you know I wouldn't be sat here Mm. having the conversation with you if it wasn't for social media so I I think it's a brilliant thing but it also is 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 a very damaging thing for, yeah. for, for kids, and and they are growing up in a, a difficult world, and trying to teach them, I don't know, how to be true to themselves and and not to immerse themselves too much into that and the comparison side I of know. things. And I think extra hard yeah. for us too. I think as single parents, yeah, yeah, like we're in charge yeah. of this to a certain age. Like it, it's just such yeah. an overwhelming responsibility at it times is. that mm. you know I've become, I've become better at not second guessing myself as much but still god there's a lot that goes on in my brain going yeah. <laughs> am I doing this right what yeah. and also that fear of going this loss for them how will this impact them in the long run now mm. look it may not at all who knows mm. and often my psychologist says to me joe stop thinking about this because yeah. it's not the future <laughs> just yeah just calm down but I look I'd be lying if I said there's not always a little part of my brain that's going oh my goodness does this mean she'll turn to drugs will she be in bad relationships because she like it just yeah. it's frightening and it's um it's hard for people I think to understand that they're not going through this these mm. yeah overwhelming responsibility and thoughts that we have especially when it comes to our children so hard it just mm. you, you know and I, I'm often saying to my children like I don't know. <laughs> I kind of, I wish I had all the answers for you, but I don't like, honestly, like you think I'm somebody that knows everything. And, 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 and equally when I have to say no to them and they get really cross with me, it's that I'm not trying to be horrible to you. I, I want you to be a good person and I want to keep you safe and it's all on me. And if, you know, I haven't yes. got anyone to, to go to, to, to help me. Mm. And, and that, and, and maybe I shouldn't have, sometimes I think, do I say too much to them? But I don't know. I'm just all for honesty and transparency yeah. and, and trying to, to help them see that. I don't know. It's, it's not easy. Well, and, I think, and I think your relationship shifts when mm. you've been through something like this. So I would say whilst Heidi is my daughter, it's a different relationship yeah. perhaps to what my friends have with their daughters, because yeah. I think, 
she's my daughter. We're kind of, we're roommates. I mean, she sleeps in my bed still. I did say the other day, I was like, are you still be sleeping in my bed till you're 18? I said, probably, <laughs> which will be interesting. Um, but she's like a roommate. She's also like a best friend yeah. kind of sounding board. So the relationship does shift because yeah. we say it's just the two of us and we're rattling around and so probably conversations I'd have with Craig I'll yeah. sometimes probably have with her or just be yes I don't know feeding things out of my brain and her just going oh yeah that sounds good or whatever it is so she's probably <laughs> but that's probably I just think the relationship you end up having because it's you and your kids yes it's, it's different and I think you view them differently and I, I, and I totally agree because I have conversations with my children sometimes I think oh should I be having this conversation yeah. like you're my child I'm a parent I don't know but actually they really speak some sense sometimes like they they'll, they'll say something back to me and I'm like god yeah that's actually a really good point thank you and it mm. almost become like a team don't you that if yes. that you like before it was like parents and children whereas <laughs> now I feel like it's like a, a team and, and we come together and, yes. and respect each other's opinions and thoughts and I don't I don't know I don't yeah it's it's weird but I think they step up as well that especially my eldest she's really kind of I could really see that shift in her like almost mm. wanting to to kind of step up and and yes. help and take that which breaks your heart because you think I don't want you to feel like you have to do that but actually that all empowerment to you at the same time like it is it's that it's like that fostering that independence um Mm. at the same time because sometimes I go there's an element of me an element of me that just wants Heidi to stay little forever and just protect and nurture and there's another side of me it's like you get out there girl and (laughs) give it all you got um so it's yeah, either, I don't know. I think it's just an interesting dynamic and change yes. and shift in relationship. And same thing, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways. But I definitely feel like Heidi and I are more of a team yeah. than anything yeah. um, because I've sort of had, had to be. Yeah, 100%. Mm. That's, that's the way it goes, isn't it? Yeah. So so in in all of this, Joe, in, in in your loss, in your widowhood, what would you say has been your your biggest learning? What have you learned about yourself maybe that you didn't know before that is really given to you that you've taken away? Oh, that's a big question. I <clears throat> I tell you what, I'm I'm a lot stronger mm. than I thought. Mm-hmm. And I and I think same thing because sometimes I think oh, I can't think of that quote right now, but it's like that. Um, I'm so fragile, but really strong yes. at the same time too. But <clears throat> I think if you ever had have said to me, you know, 10 years ago, this is what will happen to your life. Do you think you can get through that? I would have been like, no way. And if someone had even just said, you're a strong kind of character, I would have said, no, 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 I'm pretty meek and mild. Like it's, um, but <clears throat> I feel strong. Like I think I've, I've built a really incredible inner strength that I think that's come from the experiences that I've had and you know that then has built an inner confidence and inner faith and um yeah, yeah I think I think that would be the yes, yeah, but really that <clears throat> understanding that you can do 
and and live with so much more than you ever thought that yeah. you'd be able to and, and come out still yeah you know, still smiling absolutely. still smiling <laughs> what would you what would you go back and and say to your your younger self you know that that joe in the very early days um that mm. was desperately searching for answers and and wanting to to solve all the pain she was in you know for where you are now and everything that you've been through what would be your sort of words of wisdom to to that early widow joe I think for me, it just would have, I just wish someone had said to me, and I remember hearing this time that was just, you're doing the best you can. Mm -hmm. And I was so hard on myself so many times, not realizing I was just doing the best I could in the incredibly challenging circumstances I was in. Mm -hmm. And I think we don't often give ourselves credit to go what is what is happening right now is bad and it's as bad as you think and it hurts and it's painful so whatever you can do whether that's just getting out of bed making yourself a cup of coffee you know maybe putting a load of washing on and you know often you'd sit back and go I've done enough for the day I should be more productive whatever it is you're just doing the best you can whatever the circumstances that's that's kind of as simple as it is and kind of taking the pressure off in in that sense so yeah I definitely I love that I think it's so important and it's you know it's it's an exercise I kind of work through in my group as well that Mm. you know we're very much looking ahead aren't we of thinking you know I need to do this I need to do that I've got this going on I've got to make these calls I've got to solve this problem (laughs) and 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 thinking I haven't done it and just that feeling of not being in control not being Mm. productive not doing things well enough rather than going do you know what I have done this I'm going through something huge traumatic and painful and I got out of bed and I made a cup of tea Mm. and we got the kids to school (laughs) I fed the dog whatever you know you kind of go when you're feeling that horrendous that's enough like they're big achievements they're big wins and it's kind of recognizing that rather than thinking about everything you should be doing or could have done like just absolutely and I think that even applies you know even if you're three years down the path and you've found yourself in that deep dark hole again that you just go right now I'm just doing the best that I can like the best I can and this is pretty bad circumstances and I'll work it out but this is it for now we give ourselves such a hard time don't we, we do. such a hard yeah, time very it's hard. Like, let's just be a bit kinder to yeah. ourselves um so you've created this wonderful book which yeah. for those of you watching on youtube will we'll see um grief a guided journal um yeah. which is just absolutely beautiful there's so much Thank in here there's you. so many words of wisdom you know it really gets you thinking about you who you are um your person who they are mm-hmm. you know thinking about gratitude about being kind to yourself connecting with people connecting with your loved one music you know like food uh, looking after you there's there's so much there's so much in here and it's educational it really is brilliant because I think like you say it's hard to to talk about what you're feeling sometimes Mm. with people isn't it and and if you're able to to put it into words um and and keep that for yourself is is such a gift what what prompted you to to write this yeah look I think Karen it was interesting I think you know when we were talking about before um I guess was I searching for stories and the answer of you know other widows and yes definitely I was but I clicked on pretty soon enough that I was like 
oh, this is reading other people's experiences, but right now, what about my own? And I just didn't feel like there was really anything that that was out there that allowed me to explore mm. my own grief in writing. And so, look, it it came to me, I, 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 well, it's coming up almost about two years since I released the grief journal, but I just really wanted to create a safe space where someone could just come to that journal, pick it up, choose a writing prompt and just go, I'm just going to lay it all out with no judgment, no positive platitudes, whatever it might be, and, and explore different sides of themselves. And I guess in a way, and I probably hadn't thought at the time, it becomes a bit of a keepsake of your mm. grief journey. Like mm. I think now if I had that journal at year one and what I would have written compared to writing mm. now would be really different. But what a great way to then reflect back on. And I, I often do reflect back on things that I had written I, I enjoy writing and find it quite therapeutic in year one and go well interestingly I'll be either like one wow look how far you've come and mm. feel really proud of it equally sometimes I go oh wow that's still really raw like yes. that's and I think it's a great way to let it all out but then also to be able to reflect on it yes. too and so it becomes a bit of a keepsake and I, I just find with journaling too and especially with a book like this that you can kind of go I'm going to pop it on the shelf for six months, but then I might bring it back out when I'm in the mood for writing. So it doesn't have to be completed all at once. And it doesn't yeah. have to be done in any kind of order. It just can be whatever you're feeling at whatever kind of time. But I think hopefully I've written it in a way that really speaks to people that are grieving and, you know, know that I, I understand that pain mm. and I really get it. And I think that was the thing for me too. I just wanted the book to be nurturing mm. and to just say to someone, I understand, I get it trust me pour it all out and that totally shines through in the book the way you write yeah. and even that the things you, you talk about and what you get people to write about is just like wow I mean you, you know one of the questions who were you mm. you know like you've got to go through this to know to ask that question and, yeah. and what you say there about losing yourself in, in grief and mm. you know writing about who who you were and introducing that yeah. I just that it's, that's just so powerful it's so powerful well, and I I was thinking so funnily enough I think you know as we're saying when you hit hurdles in grief and what had happened was it was lockdown and I had hit another mental hurdle where I was emotional and all over the place and I thought I'd, I'd been thinking about this journal for a little bit as in I think the concept was in my mind but I just didn't know how to write I think I felt too far away from my grief at that time whereas when I'd hit this grief hurdle I was so close to it that mm. I was like now's the time to write because I'm I'm in it with mm. enough experience to kind of know that you know things will be okay and to mm. be able to nurture someone through it but to also be like I feel really close to this and I understand mm. all the emotions and the intensity of what is happening amazing and such a gift and god I, you know I wish I'd had it in in my early days yes. I, you know you're like oh yeah I look like I, I wish I did too yeah I know but people can now so I'll, I'll put the link to this in um in the show notes for people but where you know for those listening where can they find it yeah, so they can find that on my website, which is at jobets.com.au. So, Brilliant. yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd love people to check it out. That is that is a beautiful gift to yourself or to someone you know that is, is grief. And it's not actually just for widows, is mm. it? No. Um, no, it's, so it's just, yeah, mm, grief for anyone, mm. whether that's parents, siblings, grandparents, whatever yeah. it might be. 
yeah mm. because writing is is very cathartic very therapeutic and actually very sure. healing it really um, is <laughs> you know I've, I've had clients that have some amazing breakthroughs mm. through journaling um it's 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 an incredibly powerful tool so that's brilliant but joe honestly i i, I could sit here and talk to you genuinely i could sit here and talk to you for hours I, i'm like <laughs> I feel exactly the same, Karen. I'm like, your poor listeners will be going, at what point is Joe going to be quiet? <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> it'll, it'll be a, a podcast episode used as a, as a sleep meditation. <laughs> it Absolutely. goes on for so long. <laughs> No, it's, it's been wonderful. You are always so delightful to talk to. You share so much from the heart, um, from your own story. And, and it's always so open and honest and, and vulnerable, but strong. And, and I think so many are going to resonate with it. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your time with us and your story. So thank you so much, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure and a delight. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening today on The Widow Podcast. If you would like to find out more about how I can help you, please visit my website, www.karensutton.co.uk. I would love to help you find your way forward to a brighter future. So get in touch, let's have a conversation and let's help you take back control and find a more positive way through your grief. I look forward to hearing from you.